0: Hello and welcome to the Humankind Podcast, brought to you by Humanist Society Scotland. I'm Lara Cellini and I'm the Community Engagement Manager at Humanist Society Scotland and I'm delighted to be your host for the podcast. Linda Britton starts proceedings today with her thought for the podcast. Linda trained as a Humanist Society Scotland celebrant in 2005 after retiring from her position in a local authority mental health team. She loves being a celebrant for the people, the celebrations and the opportunity to mentor new celebrants.
1: These are different times and what surprises me is how quickly We've got used to them. Ordinary people, the ones who keep our lives ticking over, the people who have their feet on the ground, fingers on the pulse, whatever cliche you like to use, are the people who need our support right now. Without our delivery drivers, warehouse staff, farm workers, chefs, shelf stackers, refuse collectors, engineers, registrars, yes, them too to record and allow funerals to take place, which leads to undertakers, crematorium staff, grave diggers. The list is endless and that's not including the carers. Not only our medical staff, but the people who look after people who are no longer able to look after themselves because we owe them a huge of gratitude that I sincerely hope we won't forget when the pandemic ends and we're able to go back to a life where we can hug and kiss the people we love without fear of transferring a virus. We all have a part to play in this world we live in. Sometimes we take things for granted and get blasé. However, these last few months have made us realise that there are things that are important that we don't want to live without, and things that aren't. So if there's just one thing to take away, it's this. What wouldn't you want to live without? What makes your life worth living? And what do you absolutely not need or want? This will free up your time and energy. Think of it as the Marie Kondo of life. Does it give you pleasure? Does it make you smile? If so, keep it. And if not, give it away. Life is too short to sweat the small stuff. More cliches, but absolutely true. Another saying that I love is dance as if no one is watching. Sing as if no one is listening. And live every day as if it were your last. Enjoy what you have. Friends, family, the people who say hello and smile at you in the street. We don't know how long we'll be alive, so let's make the most of it and give something back by trying to be a better person, a person that others want to have in their lives, because then the circle will get bigger the more you open your arms and your heart.
0: Thanks, Linda. It's always good to be reminded that tomorrow isn't promised, and all we have is today. We were delighted when the Scottish Government's proposed hate crime bill was announced, and we saw that it would strike the crime of blasphemy from the law books. The bill has been controversial for a range of reasons, and we found ourselves leading the call for the Government to rethink certain aspects of the bill, that we believe could have the unintended consequence of criminalising behaviour that should be protected as free speech. Back in September, our communications manager Kerry Sutherland spoke to Andrew Tickell, lecturer in law at Glasgow Caledonian University to get his take on the proposed bill.
2: Hi Andrew and thanks for joining me today. So we're here to talk about Scotland's proposed hate crime public order bill. So in essence, the bill is a response to over a decade's worth of calls from a wide range of individuals and organisations to consolidate hate crime legislation, which is currently scattered over many different pieces of legislation. That all sounds brilliant. So in a nutshell, could you tell me what you see as the main problems with the bill as it stands?
3: The main problem with the bill is part two of it. The rest of it is largely uncontroversial, in fact. So part two concerns what are called stirring up offences. And at the moment, there's only one stirring up offence that applies in Scotland, stirring up of racial hatred. And race is defined in quite a broad way in the law to include ideas of national origin and of citizenship as well. So that's the only standalone kind of hate crime offence of stirring up. This bill proposes to expand that quite dramatically from the Public Order Act, all the way through a range of different protected characteristics. And that has scope to create a much wider range of offences about a range of controversial issues, whether it's religion or irreligionism. Religion, whether it's interesting conflict between different religions, whether it's the mm-hmm. peaks of sexuality or sexual minorities critiques of those who criticize them, whether it's the transgender issue, all of these things are potentially pulled into this controversy. So that's why I think part two has accumulated such a diverse array of critics who really don't agree on anything except for the fact they're worried about this element of this bill.
2: One of the problems is it won't look at the intention behind the action. It won't use it as a consideration when prosecuting this kind of offence. What do you think the reasoning is? behind, not including intention.
3: It's problematic because it doesn't look at what is going through the mind of the accused person, it doesn't look at their intentions, and I would argue, and a range of other people have argued to Hamza said that that needs to change in this bill, and that we really need to focus on, can we prove that the threatening or abusive behaviour had as its purpose, this idea of stirring up of hatred against a particular group.
2: And do you think that there's some kind of problem around the fact that you're trying to create a legislation, so for example, religion and race. um, are very different in terms of we can self-identify within a religion, we can change our religion, and obviously race is an immutable factor. Do you think the bill is capable of taking different kinds of identities and protecting for all of them under one piece of legislation?
3: Yeah, well, I suppose race isn't an immutable factor under the legislation because it doesn't just include for pigmentation or considerations of ethnicity or anything like that. Mm -hmm. It's a wider, in fact. I think you're absolutely right uh, that we are dealing here with different types of characteristics. And one of the big problems that a range of people have identified is that there's only specific free speech provisions about two of these. So about religion and about sexual orientation, effectively saying that criticism of religion or criticism of sexual lifestyles, I suppose, um, do not in themselves amount to threatening or abusive behavior. That doesn't deal with all of the different gamut of characteristics that will be protected, including age, including potentially sex at some point in the future. And so I think it is controversial here and that free speech provisions of the bill arguably don't direct us clearly enough towards really the full context in which remarks are being made. So I've argued and others have argued that the defence to the charge here, one of reasonableness, you can argue that you are That behaviour is reasonable, and that's a complete defense to charges under this bill. But I've argued, and others have argued, that really the court should be given a clearer steer about what kind of factors they should look for when they're looking for reasonableness, artistic factors. Comic context to what's happening? Is there a journalistic context? I think that would be a, a way of really making this bill much more clearly less of a threat to freedom of expression. I think some of the risks uh, it poses have been overstated, but there are real risks here, as Lord Bracadale himself recognised, of these stirring up offences having a chilling effect on free expression. Yeah.
2: I mean, so as we're talking now, the Scottish Parliament is just about to have a debate um, on a proposal by an MSP that the bill should be completely withdrawn. Do you think that it's so flawed that it needs to be withdrawn and completely rewritten?
3: No, absolutely not. Absolutely not. This is largely a bill which consolidates the law. So if you're objecting so dramatically to it, you're you're, you're objecting to things that are already the law in Scotland, whether or not you're aware of this fact. I think the whole debate in this is a, is a real risk of becoming very exaggerated and very confused hate crime is not an issue which is well understood by members of the public what it means in a legal sense and it's not terribly well understood by commentators who have turned the dial right up to 11 about this bill as if its main purpose was chasing after effectively newspaper columnists. and it really isn't hate crime is something that we know dramatically affects a large number of people in our country. And I think if we're going to have a proper and intelligent discussion about this bill, yes, absolutely, scrutinize carefully those risks to free expression, which I would argue it undoubtedly presents. But let's also have a discussion which is rooted in a kind of humanity and a recognition that day and daily on the street, people are experiencing crimes which are motivated by prejudice and I think it's incumbent on all of us, particularly those critical of the bill, to keep that in mind when we're framing our arguments about how this law should be reformed, not set aside altogether but reformed I would argue, and improved before it hits the statute.
2: Obviously for Humanist Society Scotland, the scrapping of the blasphemy law that's contained in the bill is hugely important. Were you pleased to see it included?
3: I was very pleased to see it. You know, it made me think of the ghost of Thomas Aiken, <laughs> the last person to be to be done to death for, for blasphemy for for criticizing the imposter Christ and and making fun of the trinity to his uh, friends at medical school in Edinburgh and he was throttled for that. I think it's uh, a small recompense to that poor boy because he was just a mm-hmm. boy's ghost um, that we're finally abolishing this rule now it's it's not been applied since i think the 19th century since the early part of the 19th Mm -hmm. century but nevertheless you know what is in the law books matters what is in the law book matters it doesn't mean you know if it's not being enforced that it's of no consequence and i think it's devoutly to be wished that blasphemy law should be repealed and i'm very glad that that element of this bill at least seems to be attracting more or less universal support
2: Yes, so are we. Um, So thank you so much for joining me today, Andrew. And if people would like to learn more about your thoughts on this subject or issues of the law in Scotland, where can they find you online?
3: Oh, they can find me online in a few different um, places. So I write a weekly column in the Sunday National um, Newspaper, which often engages with legal themes. Uh, I'm also a law academic at uh, the University, uh, Glasgow Caledonia University, and a range of things uh, around this I'll be putting in kind of open access form so you can read my more academic thoughts on these issues there.
0: Thanks to Andrew for taking us through his thoughts on that. Next up is the fab Brian Ego from Glasgow Skeptics Group, flagging up the pitfalls of personal bias and its potential to skew our worldviews without us realising.
4: Are you a racist? Do you hate women? Do you think vaccines are dangerous? Are you scared of the gay agenda? Perhaps you think COVID-19 is a hoax or it's not as serious as they say or that wearing a mask doesn't work. Maybe you think 9-11 was an inside job, or climate change isn't a thing. If so, I've got good news for you. There's science out there to support your awful worldview. Now, since this is a podcast, you wouldn't have seen the scare quotes I had around the word science. So let's take a closer look and see what's going on. The scientific method is the best that we've got to help us figure out what's true and what's not we live in an unimaginably complex universe and despite being the product of billions of years of evolution unless you don't believe in evolution of course our primate brains are somewhat limited in capability and are riddled with flaws amongst those many flaws are our personal biases which can be both explicit or implicit either way those biases will make us considerably more inclined to believe in science that we personally agree with Let's take a look at a few examples of that awful stuff. 2015, Fox News. Study finds hosts of challenges for kids of gay parents. 2016, from countercurrents.org. 15 years later, Physics Journal concludes all three WTC towers collapsed on 9-11 due to controlled demolition. Here's some nostalgia for you from the Daily Mail back in 2002. New MMR link found to autism. Citing a study in respected journal The Lancet. More recently, from March this year in Forbes.com, what you need to know about the gender pay gap. With a featured quote, here's the problem the gender pay gap doesn't exist. Hmm. Even hotter off the press, one month ago in USA Today, quote, there is no epidemic of fatal police shootings against unarmed black Americans. Citing a study from Harvard economists. If it isn't a study, then it's a proclamation from experts. Scare quotes again. From 5gappeal.eu Scientists and doctors warn of potential serious health effects of 5G. It's a long list of scientists and doctors. Unless you look closely. Or consider a recent press conference that went viral before it was punted off of YouTube. Dr Dan Erickson and Dr. Artin Masihi, who run urgent care centres, released their conclusions about the results of over 5,000 COVID-19 tests they had conducted. They claimed the results showed that the virus had spread further in the area undetected and thus wasn't all that dangerous. Hmm. I think Malcolm Tucker from The Thick of It said it best, quote, The thing is, you've spoken to the wrong expert. You've got to ask the right expert. End quote. Now, since this is a humanist podcast, I'm very much hoping you don't hold any of the awful opinions we've just waded through. But if you think you're immune to the biases behind them, then you're sadly mistaken. Many of us rarely even read past the headlines before we've patted ourselves on the back for being right again. One of the most important items in your sceptical toolkit is a sense of humility about your own biases and shortcomings. So try to be a humblest as well as a humanist. I know that's not a real word. I invented it just for you. You're welcome. So does this also mean we shouldn't trust science? Absolutely not. But you do have to be careful. And there are some useful tips and tricks for making sense of the madness. Unfortunately, I don't have time to go into those just now. Maybe on the next episode. What a teaser. In the meantime, stay safe. And stay sceptical.
0: Thanks, Brian. A great reminder that we should never be complacent when interrogating what we believe to be true. Legal humanist marriage is hugely important to the thousands of couples that our celebrants marry in Scotland every year. Andrew Copson, Chief Exec of Humanist UK talks to us about the recent bid of six couples to have legal humanist marriage recognised in England and Wales and why he's hopeful that legal recognition will come soon.
5: The campaign for legal recognition of humanist marriages in England and Wales has been very different from the campaign in other parts of the UK um, or other parts of these islands. And one of the reasons for that is the law on marriage in England and Wales is based primarily on premises, on buildings, Um, whereas in other parts of the UK or uh, in other parts of these islands, including, for example, the Republic of Ireland, humanist marriage has achieved legal recognition more quickly because the law on marriage has been more about the people who solemnize marriages rather than the places where marriage is solemnized. So when the HSS succeeded in getting legal recognition for humanist marriages in Scotland, that was because the Registrar-General in Scotland was able to look at the current situation, see that religious individuals, clergy and so on, were able to solemnize marriages legally. And the Registrar-General was able to say, the Human Rights Act means and HSS was able to argue this and the Registrar General agreed, the Human Rights Act in the UK means that individuals with non-religious beliefs like the humanist approach to life can't be treated discriminatorily or uh, in a differential uh, way that affects their enjoyment of their human rights as compared with religious people. So if um, it's the case that religious celebrants can perform legal marriages in Scotland, humanist celebrants should also be given that legal power. And that's what happened. Um, And it could happen without uh, any legislative change. It didn't need the Scottish Parliament to get involved or the Scottish Government to get involved because the Registrar General was able just to generously read the existing law as including humanist celebrants. Now, if we had uh, a similarly friendly Registrar General in England and Wales... Um, who was willing to generously interpret existing law to include humanists, that wouldn't help us because we don't have premises. So a generous interpretation of the law that included humanists in England and Wales would involve the Registrar General saying all religious premises are licensed to have legal marriages in them. Therefore, all humanist premises um, can be Uh, licensed that way too. And then we would have to say, well, actually, we don't have any premises anymore. You know, it's been 100 years since we've had uh, a load of humanist meeting houses or humanist buildings around the place. So the law in England and and Wales um, has meant that the campaign for legal recognition of humanist marriages uh, there has had to be much different. It's involved um, for most of the last 20 years, lobbying government, um, arguing um, that humanist marriage should be given legal recognition because it's the right thing to do people want it um, it removes discrimination between people with humanist approaches to life and, and and religious people um it's good for marriage it gives people choices it gives people more control and freedom in their lives um, it's a sound basis for relationships, if you can begin your life together as a legal couple in a way that reflects your beliefs and values, all the arguments that we all know that mean that humanist marriages are so successful around the world, wherever they're available. Now, Parliament was convinced of this case in 2013. And in the House of Commons and the House of Lords, there was a majority vote for um, giving legal recognition uh, to humanist marriages. And because the government knew that, um, they changed the law themselves in 2013 to create a new category of marriages in England and Wales, um, marriages according to the usages of of non-religious belief organisations. And then they proceeded to consider whether or not they would use that new category of marriage to recognise humanist marriages. And they decided not to. So at that point, political efforts, lobbying efforts to convince government Uh, to introduce humanist marriage seem to have uh, hit a brick wall, at least until there's a change of government. Um, All of the political parties, apart from the Conservative Party in England and Wales, do um, support giving recognition to humanist marriages. So if any of them were to form a government in the future, obviously that would uh, make a difference. But given that the Conservative Party is the party of government and they are not universally in favour of introducing legal humanist marriage, um, six couples had to go to court to attempt to... Uh, win their right. And they argued in court that the continuing failure of the UK government to recognise humanist marriage in England and Wales was a breach of their human rights, was discrimination, um, couldn't be justified. The government, quite shockingly, argued that there was no need for it to recognize humanist marriage, that civil marriage should be sufficient um, for humanist couples, that humanism was not really about marriage in the same way that religions are about marriage. So therefore, their continuing lack of legal recognition could be justified. Quite shocking arguments, actually. And the judge um, found systematically against every single one of the uh, government's arguments in the judgment that she gave. Um, On the 31st of July, she found that it was discrimination. She said the Secretary of State for Justice in the UK government cannot simply sit on his hands, in her words, and do nothing. Um, And she demolished all of the arguments in favour of discrimination that the government had put forward and found um, all of the arguments made by the couples to be correct. Unfortunately, she then also found that the government should be given some time to deal with this problem. Um, There's an ongoing review of marriage law government says um, in England and Wales. Um, And so we have to wait uh, to find out what that uh, review comes up with and what it proposes to find out whether um, humanist marriage has a, a plausible prospect of being given legal recognition as part of that reform. If it isn't given legal recognition, of course. These couples or other couples will just go back to court and the judge's ruling makes it pretty clear that in the absence of any um, demonstration that the government is attempting to correct this injustice, then the government will um, be found uh, to be in breach of human rights law by uh, any future judge. And if that happens, of course, um, then the government will be forced to uh, change the law and introduce legal recognition. We will carry on campaigning for legal recognition for humanist marriages in England and Wales, of course, in either case.
0: Thanks, Andrew. We have the confetti ready and waiting for when the law changes. Lockdown meant that many people who regularly volunteer had to redirect their energy and find new ways to support their communities, projects and issues that are close to their hearts. In the next segment, we chat to Humanist Society Scotland Volunteer Mary Mackay about her lockdown volunteer projects and to Mark McKergo about his lockdown brainchild, Village in the City.
6: Hello, I'm Mary, Mary Mackay, and I'm a volunteer with Street Care. Normally, of course, we'd be out supporting the people on the streets, but because of lockdown, well, everything's changed. However, I'm using my spare time to do things to help the NHS. So thanks to the very generous people and peoples who normally are great supporters when I ask for anything I'm needing for street care, they responded when I asked for pillowcases and they arrived by the bagful. And I'm using these to make wash bags for the NHS staff to be able to wash their scrubs separately from anything else. So... As well as doing that, I've been asked by the local hospital to make some nice bright, cheerful cushions for their outside garden furniture. So, that's on the list, but at the moment I'm making masks. Now these are going to the food bank to be given out to people when they're collecting their food boxes, because obviously buy masks, for some people would be really quite difficult.
7: Hello there, my name's Mark McCurgo and I'm the chair of Sunday Assembly Edinburgh, the city's secular congregation. I've been long associated with humanists and so we're very committed to sharing connections and community in a humanist context. I've just founded Village in the City. It's a project that is aimed at building micro-local communication and community as a response to the COVID pandemic we've all just been through. I noticed during the lockdown how people immediately in our street here in Edinburgh started to communicate better we had a street email list, a street WhatsApp group. People were prepared to run errands and support each other. And uh, we waved to each other in the street. I did uh, saxophone performances, which, uh, of which more later in the street, uh, people came out to listen and uh, applaud, I'm very grateful to say. We all came out and clapped for the NHS, waved to each other. And I thought, this is good. My life is better with local connection like this. And I was wondering, how do we build on that? And the answer is, what's bigger than a street? Well, it's a village. And so Village in the City is my attempt to encourage people around the world to build micro-local communities uh, using tools that I'm putting together based on my experience as a management consultant and a leadership consultant uh, in uh, leading as a host, of which I've written several books, And also my experience of starting to do some village building here in Edinburgh's West End, which is going very interestingly. And we've set up a Facebook group that now has 450 people in it from a couple of dozen uh, a month or so ago. So Village in the City is uh, about connecting. It's about tools. It's about supporting each other in building villages anywhere in the world. And I'm delighted to say that the second official village in the city is in Lincoln, Nebraska. It's the Russo neighbourhood of Lincoln, Nebraska in the United States. So we have Edinburgh, we have uh, Lincoln, Nebraska. Where will be next? Who knows? So the Village in the City project is a very exciting uh, thing and initiative, and you can find out about it at villageinthecity.net. And now to finish up, here's a little bit of saxophone from me, a jazzy party improvisation.
0: I'm always so impressed with the energy, ideas and skills that volunteers like Mary bring to our projects. If you are interested in volunteering with us drop me an email at lara I'd love to hear from you. If you'd like to find out more about Mark's Village in the City project, visit their website at villageinthecity.net. Last up, we have our five fast question slot. This week, Kerry quizzes Humanist Society Scotland trustee and all-round good sport, Jim Chalmers.
2: So, hi, Jim. You were nominated by our Chief Executive Fraser to be the next guest on Fast Five Questions. Are you ready to answer some questions very quickly?
8: Indeed. That was kind of Fraser, wasn't it?
2: (laughs) It was his pleasure, I'm sure. Okay, so we'll begin. George Orwell or Mary Shelley?
8: Oh, I haven't actually read any Mary Shelley, but I've read quite a lot of Orwell, so it would have to be Orwell. I probably should read Mary Shelley sometime, but... Life's too short.
2: That's your homework. (laughs) Uh, Yes. Carrot or stick?
8: Oh, always the carrot. But sometimes having the stick in your pocket so that people can see it may not be a bad thing.
2: (laughs) Kelpie or selkie?
8: Um, No, probably the kelpies actually, because, yeah, I mean, they're they're beautiful horses and they remind me of the ones in, in, uh, you know, on the way to Stirling as well.
2: Fact or fiction?
8: Oh, no. <laughs> I'm I'm a pretty fact-based person actually, but uh, a good story is a good story.
1: Mhm. Rational or logical?
8: Ah. Yes, they're very closely related. Probably rational actually. Uh logical's mm-hmm. a bit strict, but rational has a yeah, has a, a nuance of sense to it that uh, includes some complexity, I think. Maybe not.
2: No, I think you're right. <laughs> so thanks, Jim. I agreed with at least half of your answers, so you've passed. <laughs> um, <laughs> who would you like to nominate to play next time?
8: Well, I, I spoke to her last night, actually, and uh, Kathy Crawford I have nominated. Uh, Kathy's been with the Humanist for a long, long time. Ah,
2: so yeah. that's why you chose her, because she's yes. going to have the good answers. That's good. So yes. I will look forward to interrogating Kathy next time. Thank you for your time, Jim. That was brilliant.
0: Thanks for listening to Humankind. If you've got any questions, comments or ideas for future episodes, you can email us at podcast at Tweet us at Humanist Society or follow us on Facebook at Humanist Society Scotland. This episode was produced by Julia Moon, Ruth Curry, and Kerry Sutherland. With thanks to Linda Britton, Andrew Tickell, Brian Ego, Andrew Copson, Mary McKay, Mark McKergow, and Jim Chalmers. This episode was presented by me, Lara Cellini.